so great and so powerful. And it's not in Isaiah 53 it's, or 43, it's Isaiah 45. And I will start reading in verse 5. I'm just going to read a couple of verses here and then skip down to later in the chapter. Verse 5. I am the Lord and there is no other. Apart from me there is no God. I will strengthen you though you have not acknowledged me. So that from the rising of the sun to the place of its setting. Men may know that there is none beside me. I am the Lord and there is no other. I form the light and create darkness. I bring prosperity and create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. I want to think about different circumstances in life that come our way. And James describes several of them, of the types of circumstances that we encounter. And I, I want us to just realize, as James points out, that all these different circumstances, God is the master of them and God's hand is over them, even though they may be brought on even by events in our own life, yet they're not, they don't escape God's notice. And they're not, uh, uh, they're not out from under His hand and His power and His control. And this is pretty amazing to me to read where He says, I form the light and I create darkness. I bring prosperity and I create disaster. Uh, we, we understand that human beings create disaster and we build bombs and missiles and we treat each other horribly, and, and so there is an element of our own doing, but even those circumstances at times are of our own doing, or hardships are hardships that we brought upon ourselves. At the same time, God could have arranged differently or stopped or changed things, and He chose not to. And He allowed things to unfold, and He says, Look, whether it's light or darkness, whether it's prosperity or disaster, it's all of me, and it's all under my uh, control. And skip into verse 18. It says, For this is what the Lord says, who created the heavens. He is God. He fashioned it, who, he who fashioned and made the earth and, he, and founded it. He did not create it to be empty, but formed it to be inhabited. He says, I am the Lord, and there is no other. I have not spoken in secret from somewhere in a land of darkness. I have not said to Jacob's descendants, Seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak the truth, and I declare what is right. Gather together and come. Assemble, you fugitives from the nations. Ignorant are those who carry about idols of wood and pray to gods that cannot save. Declare what is to be. Present it. Let them take counsel together. Who foretold this long ago? Who declared it from the distant past? Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no God apart from me, a righteous God and a Savior, there is none but me. Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, my mouth has uttered in all integrity a word that will not be revoked. Before me every knee will bow. By me every tongue will swear. They will say of me, in the Lord alone are righteousness and strength. All who have raged against him will come to, will come to him and be put to shame. But in the Lord, all the descendants of Israel will be found righteous and they will exalt. So, James points out 
that these different circumstances of our life, he mentions three categories. We could, I'm sure we could feather that out into a whole lot of others. But in chapter 5 of James, he talks about circumstances in which uh, we're very distressed or frazzled or worried um, or troubled or puzzled. He talks about circumstances in which we're happy and cheerful. And he talks about circumstances in which we're afraid, where we feel so weak and so vulnerable. And James's point, of course, is that in all of them, we must put our precious life in God's hands. And allow, uh, do not allow the circumstances to cause our faith to waver or our love to waver because God is the God of all circumstances. Whether we're high or low, or as the Lord says here, whether it's light or darkness that you're living in, whether it's fear or sickness or distress or happiness, I'm there. I'm undergirding, I'm overseeing and overshadowing. I am interacting and helping in every circumstance. Don't forget it. Don't just go off on your own and with the intention of living your life apart from me and ignoring me. Um, so let me take you through some verses there in James chapter 5. But, uh, but, but before I leave this thought of circumstances, just observation in life, this is nothing profound. We all feel this, we all see this, we all observe this all the time, that Often we human beings are a little like a balloon. And sometimes the circumstances are happy and we feel puffed up and we feel full and we feel joyful and, and we just float along on the breezes of life. And, and like a balloon, we absorb and assimilate the circumstance. And it, if it's good, we feel expansive and expanded. Or if the circumstances are difficult, trying, hurtful, painful, fearful. They just kind of shrink the balloon down. And, and we respond so often to our circumstances, to that, allowing the circumstances to, to direct our frame of mind and our, frame, our attitude. We forget or ignore or overlook or just simply... Um, get distracted from the fact that God is the God of all circumstances. And we feel like we have to battle through these things alone. And so we allow circumstances both emotionally and in our relationship to... In other words, when things are high or when things are going well, we're high. When things are going very difficult, we're despondent. We're low. We're discouraged. And uh, this is because we allow this often to happen. One of, the, one of the corollaries, I guess I'll say, of this is that because we're fallen people from Adam onward, our, our, our human race has lived in this state of brokenness and disharmony and distance from God. And so because of this, uh, one of the, the characteristic is that we, we don't just automatically, we don't just um, first thought 
turn to God. We are like the, you know, the image of the old western cowboy. We're just kind of proud and happy and determined. And it's, this is part of the fallen nature. That we are proud to be an individual. And we're going we're gonna to tough it out. We don't need help. We don't need help from people or even from our Creator. It's just ingrained within us in the fallenness of our nature to make it work somehow. We've got to be tough. And we're happy if we can, can be tough. If we don't have to ask for help, um, if we don't have to go to someone else and say, uh, I have sinned, please help me. Or if we have to go to God and ask for His help, we're happy about that. Consequently, socially, uh, we're not only proud to be individuals, but we're often very, very reluctant to share our burdens with each other. I mean, I'm not saying that we never do. I'm saying it's hard for us when we do, each and every time that we do, because we don't enjoy sharing the burdens. We, don't want, we want to assume the burdens ourselves. We want to carry things on our shoulders. And so... We're reluctant, even when we do. We, we do it through gritted teeth because we don't want to. And the uh, spiritual side of this is, I think that we seldom ask for help or request especially spiritual prayer or spiritual guidance from other people because maybe we don't think it really matters that much. Um, this, I don't mean to make a blanket statement that all of us all the time do not believe that. But I'm saying as a whole, mankind, uh, our tendency of the, in the fallen nature is to say, you can't help me, um, you don't understand, you haven't walked in my shoes, you're not the one who have to pay my bills, you're not the one listening to my problems or dealing with my problems. And so I appreciate that you would be glad to pray for me, that's fine. But I don't really think it's going to make any difference. That's often our mindset. That's often the, 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 the point of view that we have. Here is God's design. Two things, two, two points to mention. This is, these are from Scripture. And, and I think in contrast to all of that rugged individualism is God's statement to Adam before he created Eve or before he cut Adam in half and made two parts. God said this aloneness isn't good. This independence this, uh, this, self, this uh, a rugged independence can, leads to a self-absorption. And it is not good, not only socially, but spiritually. It is not good that we do not share our life as God himself, as Father, Son, and Spirit, shares his life in some sense. The scripture also says, in what to me is one of the most powerful statements in the whole Bible, in Romans chapter 14. That we do not live unto ourselves alone. And if that isn't enough to grab your attention, it says we don't even get to die unto ourselves alone. But we live unto the Lord. We live under the watchful eye of the Lord. We live in a plan and a purpose of the Lord. We live within the realm of power of the Lord. And the Lord is way out ahead of us on the curve of life. We don't get to surprise him. We don't get to design some territory that he can't explore or that he's not uh, able to, to be part of. All of our life, whether we acknowledge it or not, whether we admit it or not, whether we believe it or not, 
We live and die. In fact, it goes on to say, say, we belong to the Lord. It's quite a startling thought. Whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Now that's a different attitude in our life living, in the living of our life, than this attitude that says, leave me alone, I'll deal with it, it's my problem, I'll fix it. And, um, and I, I don't, I not only do not need your help, I don't think you really can help anyway. Because it's my problem. And it's, it's my victory and so forth. This is uh, what James says in chapter 5. I'd like to take time to read verse 13 to verse 18 in James, the book of James chapter 5. Is any of you, is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. We live unto the Lord. Is, so that's one type of a circumstance. I mean, trouble uh, can take us a lot of directions. A lot of different kinds of trouble. And, and he doesn't, he doesn't fo- focus on one. He just says, you're in trouble? Here's the attitude with which to handle it. Turn your heart to God. Pray. Secondly, is anyone happy? So this is a different circumstantial wave that's come along and picked up my ship. If you're, is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. So you don't just, just smile and keep it to yourself and say, kind of pat yourself on the back and say, good for you, you did real, you're doing real well. It says, turn your focus of your heart and your life to the Lord and sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? This is also now a new circumstance. This to me is the fearful one, the one that, that says, I'm weak, I'm vulnerable, things are way out of my control and I, can't, I, can't, I, I cannot control or predict what's ahead. And now, he says, in this situation, if any of, is any of you sick, he should call the elders of the church to pray over him. So here's prayer again. And anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other. And pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. We'll come back to this last verse next week. But let's just, uh, let's just go back over these three scenarios, these three types of circumstances where, in each case, the, the writer here says, the Scripture says, turn your life to the Lord. Turn your life outward, not inward, in these circumstances. The first one, he says, look, if you're troubled, and again, this can be a wide variety of trouble. Um, he's not focusing on any one type of trouble. He says you need to acknowledge that God is there with you in that trouble. You need to acknowledge God's presence. You need to talk to him. You need to go to prayer when you're in trouble. Um, I, I suppose uh, people have done every imaginable thing when they've gotten in trouble. You know, some people get mad. Some people flee away. 
try to run and escape and evade. Um, some people uh, commit suicide. Everything imaginable people do when they're in trouble, when, when they're distressed over a circumstance. Maybe, maybe it's a wrong that's come to light um, and, and they know they're going to have to answer for it. Whatever it might be, uh, any type of trouble. It could be um, financial, it could be relational, it could be um, emotional and, and so forth. It, it could be, I, I, don't, I don't have a roof over my head. I don't know where I'm going to eat my next meal at. Whatever trouble. It says that our response as human beings should not just simply be, I'm going to tough this out. Now, I'm not downplaying or saying it's wrong to try to be tough. I think, you know, there's things in the Bible that encourage us uh, not to whine and not to complain and not to blame other people, but to endure and persevere. So there's, there's good things with being tough. I'm not putting that down. But there's a difference between being tough and praying. A vast difference between being tough my own self and turning my life and turning my circumstance and turning my distress over to the Lord. <clears throat> and this says that what we should do when we're going through some kind of trouble is to pray. And, you know, uh, this has been the teaching of the Christian community from the very beginning. Um, just like the, the hymn writers of the 18th or 19th century, uh, I think of the song, What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to him in prayer. <clears throat> oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Uh, this is what James is saying. This is the message that we need, when we're troubled, we need to go back to remember that we're not by ourselves. We're not alone in this trouble. It doesn't make it all instantly vanish just because I fall on my knees in prayer. Doesn't mean that I get up to my knees and all the circumstances has changed and all the threats are gone and now everything is rosy and, and, and wonderful. It doesn't, it doesn't promise that. It's not saying that. But it just says God is a God of can handle trouble. And, and so when you get in trouble or trouble has come to you, don't ignore that. Don't uh, just withdraw but rather flee to the Lord and realize that he has wisdom for you and he has strength for you for your trouble. Second, he mentions uh, a circumstance, circumstances, whatever they might be, that make me happy. And uh, this is, this is a fun, these are the fun times in life. This is the fun times to remember and laugh about and, and uh you know, we look at our photo albums sometimes and once, and once in a while when we say, oh, what wonderful times we had. James says, well, just because your circumstance is good, you don't get to ignore God. Because uh, your, your happy circumstances, if, if, you're, if you're happy because, because you find yourself in great circumstances, in other words, um, 
you, uh, your health is good, maybe, or you've got enough money, or you've got good food, or you've got good neighbors. All of these good things have somehow found you and come your way. Um, James is saying or implying to us, well, where do you think these gifts come from? They come to us from God. Every good and perfect gift is from above. It comes down from the Father. Uh, and, And He doesn't just give you good gifts because you're a Christian. Jesus said, look, He sends His rain on the on the atheist and on the believer. God gives His goodness and pours out the the mercy and the goodness of His heart upon all people of all places. And, and so it's not because you're so specially different from anybody else that God has been good to you. And it's, it's because of who God is. And so James says, look, if you're in a good circumstance and so you're happy, uh, don't gloat over it. Don't brag about it. Don't pat yourself on the back for it. Sing a song of praise unto the Lord. Acknowledge where this the goodness of your life and the goodness of your circumstance has come from. Again, it's not, uh, it's not something that we keep to ourselves, but rather it's something that we turn to the Lord. And I think the implication is there also, if your circumstances aren't good, but you're still happy, somehow, amazingly, in the most rotten of circumstances, you still find yourself filled with an indescribable and unexplainable joy. Well, that too is supernatural. That is a result and and evidence of God's Holy Spirit working in your life. And it says, we're told in Ephesians, be filled with the Spirit and sing and make music in your heart unto the Lord. So there's a a correlation between, and it's not about how well you sing. This is not about whether your talent or your gift is music. That's not the point at all. Um, Maybe you should sing only to the Lord. Maybe you shouldn't sing when you're in public. It doesn't say you have to get up and sing in the front of the church if you're happy. It just says sing. And to sing praises unto the Lord. Um, and, and, and this is because God's goodness and blessings fill your, fill your heart. And the song um, is the acknowledgement of where it comes from. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Let's sing it with me. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. This is, this is the overflow of our heart, James says. You don't just... You don't just kind of swallow your happiness and keep it inside and, and kind of stuff it down. But he says, again, let the circumstances of your life continually take you to the presence of the Lord. Then this third one, the one that uh, is the most fearful, I think, of all. I mean, distress may mean that we're worried or fearful about something. But this is a very different word. This is a word that means uh, all through the New Testament, when it's translated, it's sick or it's sick unto death. This is the same word that described Lazarus before he died. It says Lazarus was sick, same word, here. So this is definitely talking about physical illness or perhaps possibly emotional illness, mental illness. But it's, it's, a, a, play, it's, it's, a, it's a, a condition where our body is not uh, operating with integrity. Our body or our mind is not 
is, is not at ease. It is diseased in some way. And, uh, and so here he says, look, even if this is the circumstance you find yourself in, you don't ignore God um, there. You still invoke the help of God, but you, you, you do it through his people. When you're sick or if you find yourself to be sick, he says, you go to the church. You go to the body of Christ. It's not talking about this church or any particular church. It's the idea is the body of Christ. And specifically here, he mentions those given leadership, those who are the, the shepherds, the overseers, the caretakers, the leaders, which are called here, translated the word, the word is presbyteros, which we get Presbyterian from. But it means, it means elders, and it's not talking about age, but it's just talking about the leaders of that flock, of that group. And, and, and my point that, that I want to bring out is that, that while we, uh, you, you know, we, we go to, we, we acknowledge God and his presence and his power, we also, in, in times of weakness or sickness, where we especially are humbled, because it can be very, very humbling and humiliating when you're sick. And he says, don't ignore God's people, but rather acknowledge God's people. And I think what this is saying where he talks about anointing and praying and laying our hands on one another and so forth, which I'm going to give, I want to uh, give an opportunity for uh, later here in a few minutes. Uh, any one of you who would like to come and some of our elders, some of our spiritual care commission are going to come and we're going to be able to pray with you and anoint you if you have an interest in that. Um, I believe that what you're saying when you call others to pray for you or with you, and again, there's just to, just to point out, there's some initiative on your part if you're the sick person. I'm not, for example, as an elder of the church, I'm not going to go around knocking on doors. I'm not going to go up and down the streets of Greencastle and say, is anybody sick in this house? Is anybody sick in here? Not that I won't think that would be wrong, but it's not how he makes it, it's not how he words that, this in this passage. He says, if any of you among you is sick, let him or them call the, these, the leaders of the church to pray for them. So whether it's here in public, whether it's in the privacy of your own home, I think he's, he's pointing out that your weakness should drive you to the Lord. And it should be uh, real enough to you that you acknowledge God's people and that God works through his people. And this, I think, is the attitude that he's saying. And when I say I here, I'm not meaning David. I don't mean I personally. I, I'm saying with this statement, this is what James is talking about. This is the attitude, the implication. That when I call for others to come, to lay their hands on me, and to pray for me and with me, that what I'm saying, in essence, is I believe that God's healing not only happens through scientific means or means that we can describe scientifically, um, but, or through medication, scientific processes that we are able to describe scientifically. Uh, 
But, but I believe that God heals people somehow using gifts that he has implanted in his body of believers. If you don't believe that, then don't ask others to pray with you. Because it's, it's I think you're, you're just kind of, a, um, you're not being sincere. But when you do ask others to pray with you, I think this is what you're saying. You're saying, I do believe that this can make a difference or does make a difference. I do believe that, um, that God works through ways that are beyond science and medicine. That, that we would include these in our attempt to be healed. But that we also realize there are other unseen spiritual elements to life. You know, it, it, it blows my mind when I think about the fact that God made a body out of dirt. And then, and, and then breathed His Spirit into it. That you and I are a combination of this very common, trashy, Material. I don't know if that's a good word to use, but dirt is, you know, literally scum. Dirt isn't much. Dirt is is so uh, common, unsophisticated. You can take a shovel and fling a heap of it any direction you want to. And and I understand we're not just exactly dirt walking around. We are a highly sophisticated, highly tuned machine. But that he used this as the building blocks from which he put, he, he created our species. But then to combine it with the breath of his mouth. And you know, and thinking about this just yesterday, I thought of something that had never really occurred to me in my whole life. And you may laugh at it, you may think it's funny, and I don't, I don't know what to think about it. But I've often pondered this idea, or I've often pondered this event that is described in the Gospels, where Jesus came to a man who was blind, and he reached down and he got dirt. And he spit in it. And it says he made a mud pie. He made mud out of it, and he smeared it on the man's eyes. First of all, it's gross. Secondly, it's weird. Uh, Why would you spit on the ground, and then, disgustingly, pick that up and put it on somebody's face. I mean, I, I don't know. And, and, the, and the methods that Jesus used to heal people were, va- were vastly different and varied and individual. But I just have to wonder, in light of this thought, that humans, humanity is a combination of dirt and breath. If somehow in Jesus' mind he was recreating or recreating the, the creation, I don't know. It's just, it's just a thought that occurred to me that there's, there's something in the touch and the faith of those who believe that God uses. And so this, to me, is a big issue uh, the temptation, as I said earlier at the very beginning, when we have problems, is to go, to go within ourself, to be rugged and individual and, and to be proud and to say, well, I, you know, I may be sick as a dog, but I don't need your help. 
Yes, you do need my help, and I do need your help. And James says we need each other's help. And so the call for others to come and pray over us or for us is a signal of the fact that I am overcoming this temptation to withdraw from other people because I am reaching out and acknowledging the body of Christ and I am acknowledging God's people. Um, you know, in, if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it talks about gifts that God gives to people and these are not Christmas presents wrapped in a bow. These are gifts of the Spirit. And it describes a, a number of different things like leadership or um, preaching or giving or serving. Things that are very hard to put a finger on. But God says, I give gifts to people. And, and some people, I, I, I just, I implant within them for my own purposes a certain ability. I give a I give a thread of my own constitution and I place it within them. It is a connection between them and myself. Well, when you read that list in 1 Corinthians 12, one of them there, one of those gifts is the gift of healing. Uh, God gives to individuals at his choosing and his pleasing the ability to heal. I believe that. The scriptures teach that. The problem is I don't know who they are. It may be my next door neighbor. So it could be if I'm too proud to ask someone to pray with me that I am missing the healing that God would have given to me through someone whom he gave that gift of healing. Um, I'm not trying to be dramatic. I'm just simply saying Part of this is the, over, the overcoming the temptation to withdraw. Part of it is the fact that there is a connection, it says, between the physical and the spiritual. This is a little bit of a tangent. This is a little bit of a different direction. And I won't take but a moment here. But he says, um, when you ask for prayer, when you call someone to pray with you, or you come and have someone lay their hands on you and anoint you, he talks about here, um, which means simply rubbing oil or putting oil on that. That it's not just the touch of the hand, human hand, but there's also this symbol of the presence of God, this symbol of the Holy Spirit. And uh, and he says, if if they have sinned, those sins will be forgiven. Therefore, if you have sinned and you're aware of it, talk about it. Tell them. Say, you know. Um, I don't know if this has anything to do with it or not, but perhaps my sickness is a, an attention getter from God. You know, the scripture says, 1 Corinthians 11, that God sometimes chastises people for sin by allowing them to get sick. And that's a whole different topic, and I'm no expert in it, but I believe that I have seen it in my lifetime, where when sin was confessed and turned away from, health returned. And, uh, and I think that God was using that to get their attention. It tells us that he can and will at times do this. And James says, look, if I was sick and I was asking for prayer, I would want to make sure that it wasn't sickness because of a chastisement of God. So I'm going to confess my sins to the ability that I have or to the awareness that I have so that if that is a, a part of this situation, God can hear and he I can isolate them and ask for his forgiveness and he can help. And he, can for, he can forgive. And 
the assurance of that and the and the the power of that can sometimes flood into my physical being and change or emotional being and change it as well. So there there's very well can be a connection. And I and I, I'm just struck by the humility needed to confess my sin. You know, to ask someone to pray for you or even to lay their hands on you and anoint you and pray for you is takes a, a, a bit of humility to do that. I need you. I need your help. I, I, I ask for your help. But to confess your sins to someone takes a even greater humility. This is, a, this is very humbling to say to someone that uh, I, I have something to uh, confess. And it's not that you have the power to forgive me. Uh, we don't, I don't believe that's what it's teaching us, that the person that this is confessed to. But in that act of humility, the reality, in that act of confession, the reality of, of humility is seen and known and heard by the Lord. And so there's a connection, he says. And the Lord will raise him up. It's not the person praying for him, but their faith is integral in his process. That's the connection that I see here. The elders will pray, they'll lay their hands and pray and anoint, and the prayer of faith. So this is even implying not just your faith, but the faith of those who are praying for you is somehow seen by God on your behalf. Somehow it's included and in his response. And what he says is pretty amazing. He said, you know, the faith of one person can impact many other people. For example, Elijah, and he gives this illustration. I'm going to use a different illustration, and I'm done. A man came to Jesus. This is in John chapter 4. And it says he was a, a, a royal official. And he said, Jesus, my son is sick. And, and Jesus said, well, um, your son will be healed. I can't think of all the story exactly, the words, but it's in John chapter 4. Your son will be healed. And it says the man went home and a servant came out and met him and said, Hey, your son, your son is better. The fever left him. And the man said, What time did the fever leave him? And he said, It left him at 7.15. And the, and the, the, uh, the official said, 7.15. That's exactly when Jesus said to me, Your son will be healed. Now, the son wasn't there. He wasn't present with Jesus. But his father was. His father was there praying with faith. There's another story in Scripture about a Roman centurion. His name was Jairus. And he came to Jesus and he said, Jesus, I have a servant and he has, he's paralyzed. And he's in terrible pain. And Jesus said, I'll come. I'll come to your house. And the, and the, the centurion said, no, you don't come to my house. I, my house is too humble for you. Um, you have authority over all of life. This man was a true believer. And he said, you have authority. And I know what that means. I'm a centurion and I have authority over men. And when I tell somebody to come or go, they, go, they come and they go. And when you tell sickness to go, it's going to go. So I have no doubt that, uh, uh, that what you say will happen. You don't need to come to my house. I'm not worthy of that. And Jesus raised his eyebrows and he said, I've never seen such faith. I have never seen. Such an example of real, raw faith. And he said, go, your servant is made whole. Uh, here's, here's another example. This is a third one. This is in Mark 15, Matthew 15. 
a woman came to Jesus and she said, Jesus, my daughter is demonized. My daughter is just in horrible condition. Again, the daughter wasn't there. And Jesus said, woman, you have great faith. And her daughter, who wasn't with her, her daughter who was in another town, it says, was healed from that very hour. My point is, here, here are examples of someone who was healed because of the faith of somebody else. That's why I say that the faith of one can impact many others. And I don't understand all about how and why it works that way. I don't understand everything about healing at all. I can't, healing is mysterious to me. I cannot know God's greater plan. And I cannot judge, be judgmental or presumptuous about people's faith. And I realize and recognize that there are faith healers who are frauds, who have made many miserable lies, who have, uh, uh, who have destroyed the faith and who have abused and caused suffering of other people. I understand that. At the same time, I cannot disregard what God's Word teaches us here, which is that, um, that we should ask others to pray with us and we should humbly come and be as, uh, be as humble and as we can when we are sick, of, of any type of sickness, when this is our need, and ask others to be involved. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to close our service with communion. And the servers are going to come and they're going to pass, uh, the, the, they're going to pass the, the cup and the bread as we normally do. Um, and Becky and uh, Becky is going to be doing some music as we do that. While we do that, if you might be here this morning and you would like to have someone lay their hands on you and anoint you for a healing, just for God's healing... I'm going to invite you to come up to this area here on this side. The servers will be over here. I don't think we'll interfere with each other. You can sit on the front pew if you would like to. And when we have prayed with you, we will serve you communion up here. So you won't need to feel like, oh, if I come up here, I'll miss communion. Um, this is, we're not going to, this is going to be quiet. I'm going to turn my mic off. But uh, if you would like to come and... Um, just have some, have some of our elders pray with you. Please do that while the communion is being served. We will be glad to pray with you, lay our hands on you, anoint you, and ask and trust for God's healing for you. Josh, would you come? Josh is going to lead communion. and uh, Oh, we're going to sing a song. Oh, I forgot. Let's sing the song later. Can we do that, Becky? I think because of time, we should just keep moving. That's my fault. Heavenly Father, we remember what Christ did, and we uh, are humbled by that. But we also know that he works in and through, you work in and through. Our, the human body is the body of Christ as well. So we pray for each other. We love each other. And we want to see each other healed. And so we even believe in, in your in your work on behalf of each other. And we uh, are, are thrilled and glad that you have given to other folks gifts of healing 
that we can share with each other through prayer. Come to you in Jesus' name for your blessing, for your healing, and thank you for the sacrifice that we remember in these symbols in Jesus' name. Corinthians chapter 11. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup, and after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Thank you. 